Hey rippers, are you learning to surf? But are you a kook or a beginner? There is a big difference, you know. Since there's many ways to be a kook, tune in this week as my friend Eric and myself start a three-part series about how to read the surf forecast and make a call about the best time and place to surf. If you don't know by now, us surfers love to spot a kook. But don't stress it, because we've all kooked it at some point. But the more you know, the less you'll kook it. So pull up your favorite surf forecasting site and get ready to learn. The KookCast is here to lead you on your journey out of kookdom one episode at a time, and hopefully offer you some traction on this slippery slope between kookery and killing it. I'm your host, Coach Chris, and I started the surf coaching and education program, The Surf Continuum. Basically, so surfers are always trying to be in the right spot at the right time so that they can get the best waves. And, uh, and that's our goal with this three-part series is to give you uh, some guidance to help you teach yourself how to find the best waves in your area. And I say teach yourself because we can't teach you. It's not black and white. You're going to have to start observing the ocean and, and comparing the information you get from the tools that we'll tell you about. Um, and, and comparing it to what happens at the beach. And as you know, all these different swells and tides and, and winds interact, and you get this picture of what that looks like, you'll start to build a kind of archive for uh, you know, what the waves are gonna look like when you see certain conditions repeat themselves. All right, today I'm joined by my dear friend, uh, Mr. Schwab, who is an earth science teacher, so he's the most qualified, I think, to speak to. Not to mention that we both really care, uh, we really love to geek out on this kind of stuff, and Eric's one of the first people like, that I'll speak to when a, a new swell is coming or, or something looks good, and we'll kind of get in touch and talk about all these like, next, three, you know, next three topics, which are, uh, what? what are they? What are these three things that everyone needs to, to kind of have a good understanding or a, a basic grasp on to, uh, to be able to the three most important things that we're, we plan on discussing are going to be uh, wind, the swell, and the tide. Um, mm -hmm. those, are the, those are the things that you know, we, for the most part, have pinpointed probably as the more important aspects of being able to determine what the surf conditions are like on the beach, right. um, you know, which, which are different from swell conditions, which we'll get into uh, shortly. Right. So, okay. So we decided that we were going to originally do this as one big podcast, but as we just dove into it, it was just clear that this is going to be need, This needs to be broken down into three. So, starting with wind. Today will be wind. Next week we'll we'll release uh, the episode on swell, and the week after that will be tide. Uh, before we get into that, though, let's quickly talk about the tools that you need to be able to get the information that we're going to talk about. Uh, yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna preface this with the idea that um, the the specific tools that Chris and I use are even different from each other but the reason for that is because everywhere you go the tools are going to be different um, for instance you know I, I know we you have listeners from largely I guess we could say around the world that you know these tools just might not exist for your particular location and when we say tools you know the big one that comes to mind would be surfline mm -hmm. uh you know another popular tool one of my favorite you know and this is for once again this is for swell forecasting um another one of my personal favorites is swell info which you know given the name sounds uh <laughs> sounds like sounds appropriate for what we're talking about here um, some other ones that we use here in the Northeast, um, probably also across America largely, um, would be Magic Seaweed. That's another one. And these are just our, I mean, these are what I would consider the main swell forecasting websites, but that's not to mention that we don't look elsewhere for 
wind forecasting right. or for or or for straight uh, raw swell info. Um, and I don't say that in the way of referencing back to the website, but the actual information about particular swells off of uh, government websites and buoy, buoy mm-hmm. data. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, the forecast can say one thing, but what the buoy's reading is usually not going to lie to you. The forecast can lie. Um, quite often, the buoy is recording raw data, actual real-time stuff. Um, but as Chris and I may end up mentioning, is sometimes that buoy data is hard to interpret, and it, it doesn't quite always uh, relate on the beach how it relates on the buoy, you know, 15 miles out. To boil it down, the long story short is just that you need to find your tools that you like that give you uh, swell data uh, and that give you wind data and tide data. And for the most part, the surf forecasting sites do do all of that. And then they attempt to forecast and decipher it for you, which is where you get the red, blue, green, you know, good, bad, okay kind of condition thing. Um, and, and, th- and that's actually, that's reminded me that just we're trying to break you out of that to not just look at a forecast and see green and think, Oh good. And see red and like, Oh bad. But there's much more, um, nuanced and, and many more variables to it than just that. So that's, that's what we aim to do. So find your tools, you know, figure out where you can get your swell data from. Uh, and also if you can, if you have buoys in your area, you know, like for us in America, it's the national atmospheric, uh, the National Oceanic Atmospheric Association or administration, whatever, uh, we get our buoy data there. I think other parts of the world have their own buoy systems. Um, but yeah, you need to find that information so that you can start uh, building that archive in your head or on your journal, whatever, for uh, what different, you know, how different information plays out in real life on the beach. Okay, so let's uh, this week, let's start by covering wind. And uh, we'll talk about how that's what we feel probably one of the most important aspects to the quality uh, of, a, a, of the surf at the beach. Wouldn't you agree? 100%. Um, you know, the wind is literally probably one of the most significant things with the exception of actually having swell in the water. Um, most locales around the world will generally always have some kind of swell in the water, um, unfortunately, for Chris and I, we were just looking. Uh, we were just looking at six-inch waves, considering if maybe we should get wet today. Um, so, wind is pretty much the most important thing, provided you have some kind of swell. Um, right. And what made today so st- sticking with today? What made today so appealing to us, aside from it's sunny in December? It's this, you know. Well, driving back into town, what did what what did you see on the flag, Chris? I saw offshore winds. Yeah, offshore winds. Um, offshore. An offshore wind, in case you're unfamiliar with the terminology, offshore wind means that the wind is blowing off of the shore. And this is... Um, so this talk, is, about, talk about where the wind comes from, how we describe the direction of wind. So that would help, under, you know? Sure. So I, I think start, starting actually with an offshore wind is probably a little bit better for now because it's more general. Mm-hmm. Um, offshore wind is when the wind is blowing off of the beach. So it's blowing from where the dunes would be or from where you're standing towards the water whereas we could flip that and we could say an onshore wind is blowing off of the water onto the beach um, and then there's also side shore winds where it would be coming parallel down the beach from either direction mm-hmm. we'll, we'll get into a little bit more about that later um, so here on long island long island is in a position where we face the island itself faces the southeast our whole beach points to the southeast so typically surfers get excited when we see a northwest wind because that is the exact 
opposite direction that our beaches face. So that would be a perfectly offshore wind that grooms the waves. Now, that's coming not from the northwest. Coming from the northwest. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that a north wind isn't good mm-hmm. or a northeast wind isn't good. Or for that matter, a south wind. Really confusion there. A south wind, dead on shore, can be okay provided it's not too fast. So a light or no wind can result in, you know, beautiful glassy conditions. But as it's going to show up on Swell Info or one of the forecasting websites, that would show up as your infamous red or your, you know, don't go out because it's just computer generated. Um, Right. And that's actually, so we covered, me and Ev covered this uh, in in a surfing's misconception episode where we talked about how the forecast can say conditions are bad, red or whatever the color your, your tool, your surf forecasting site uses. Uh, and, and so here's the first instance of why we're doing this podcast, um, because that's not always true. Because you have to consider not just the direction of wind, which is what the surf forecasting site seems to do, um, but also the intensity of the wind. And so what Eric was saying is like, yeah, offshore wind's good, and that's what the forecast is going to say green, but there's these chances of um, hidden greens, you know, in the middle of reds where the wind is actually on shore. It's for us on Long Island. So it's coming from the South off the water on shore. Um, but it's actually still glassy conditions. That's because the intensity might not be enough to build up any textured ripples, you know, uh, what would you say kind of generally is a good speed, like what under 10 miles an hour or um, to, to keep it kind of glassy and on, still? Uh, with an onshore wind. Yeah. Like, where is under, the line drawn? Under 10. Under 10, right? You know, I, I, I guess it you know, to get long. really specific, like, if it's in that 7 and under range, you know that you're going to probably have some fairly slick, beautiful conditions to mm-hmm. work with. I think, doesn't it also depend, though, on, like, how long it's been blowing, you know? 100%. There so are like so many variables that we can get into that we, we just can't get into. Right, right. Okay, um, so keeping it simple, you know, direction's in pro- the most important. You let, want I just, let, just back up for just a second here because you did mention something good and I just don't want to, I don't want to leave people hanging in that regard. Oh yeah, get it, um, get it. If the wind is onshore for two days and it builds in a lot of swell because wind is, is of course what creates the swell. If that wind is onshore for two days and it's blowing in and it's all kind of victory at sea and choppy and, um, and, and looks like a mess and then all of a sudden the wind lightens up it's probably not going to be that good. Right. Um, and that's my right. opinion. Um, you know, if, if the ocean had a chance to kind of settle down and get all that south onshore wind chop out of it, then we're talking a different story. And then the wind decides, you know, it lightens up where it's been light now for a couple of days and there's still water, swell in the water. The swell may have had a chance to organize itself. But right, these right. are all you know, working pieces of this giant machine mm-hmm. that we don't even know what all the pieces are. Right, right. Again, we're going to have to keep saying that, you know, like this is something we're still in pursuit of, understanding it more and more fully. Like when we see, oh, the wind's supposed to calm down after it's been on shore for three days, we'll be saying to each other, you think it'll be clean? You think it'll glass? No, nah, I think it's going to need offshore. And we'll be going back and forth. So there is no like answer here. Like, okay, this is when this happens. This is when this happens. We're just getting you on the direction. We're just hoping you see like what you need to be looking out for and what to try and see and anticipate and hope for that you're right, but maybe wrong and, and, you know, correct yourself and basically learn as you go. And just, just to back up for a second, just to give everybody another example. Um, it's, it's the educator in me. Uh, you know, we said a north wind here on Long Island or a northwest wind is beautifully offshore. You know, in a place like New Jersey that faces due east, 
a west wind would be their offshore wind and an east wind would be their onshore wind. So I just, mm. I just want to make people understand and, and try not to just take our one idea and, and try to apply it to wherever you live, you know, that a north wind is, that's just not the case. It's whatever way the wind is blowing off of the shore. Right. So it's relative to where you are. So you're going to have to pull out your map, you know, of your local region or your local break that you surf often and then take your hand and go from off on the shore to off of the shore and figure out what direction that is. Uh, well, actually where the wind's coming from is how we describe the wind direction. Yes. But yeah, you figure out what's your offshore. And, and Chris, you know, I, I think another thing that we, we may be just overlooking because this is stuff that we've been thinking about for 15 plus years. Um, you know, why is an offshore wind good? And, and why is an onshore wind supposedly That's right. bad? That's a good point. Um, yeah, you know, people, people might not even understand why we're so excited about an offshore wind when driving into town today, which yeah. made us... All right, so you tell me, what, when you see offshore wind, why do you get excited? Well, in, you know, and this is... Because I have my own ways, I know. I want to hear is, I think this is also partly theory, um, but I think it's also, you know, kind of validified by when, what you see with your own eyes. But... When the wind does blow offshore, provided there is some kind of swell in the water, you know, it's energy against energy. And what happens is, is, you know, the energy kind of organizes itself because it has no other choice. The only way it's going to fight through that wind that's pushing against it is to organize itself. So what the offshore wind, once again, in my opinion, does is it organizes the ocean and it causes the, uh, the surface of the ocean near the beach to be very clean. Mm -hmm. If you're a boater and you go, you know, and you're offshore on an offshore wind, the ocean's not going to be clean. It's right. only clean near the beach where the wind is first starting to hit the water. Because once again, I'm going to go back to this major point that a lot of people forget. Wind is what causes waves. So if that wind is blowing offshore really strong, offshore there's going to be waves moving away from your beach mm -hmm. in the opposite direction. Yeah, because it's that the beginning wind, of a swell, basically. It is. That's a great way of putting it. Yes, it is the beginning of a swell. So I, I, what I always liked when I was a kid, the first way that I discovered in my life, I remember so distinctly, the demonstration of what offshore wind looks like is I was near a pond by my house. And it was a small enough pond that I could see the entire perimeter. And the wind was cranking that day. And I noticed something. That on the side of the pond where the wind was coming from was very glassy. And even glassier as you got closer to the edge of the pond. Now, as you moved away from the edge of the pond, downwind towards the middle, it got choppier. And on the opposite side of the pond, it was as choppy as any point in that, that pond. And that is the perfect definition of onshore and offshore. The one side of the pond that was upwind, that was, has the wind coming off of the land and across the pond was the offshore side. And that's why it was glassy right there. But as you moved away from that edge and towards the other edge, which was receiving the wind from off the pond onshore, was choppiest. And I remember it hit me like a revelation, like, oh my God, that's why offshore wind makes the ocean clean, you know, and why onshore wind makes the ocean choppy. Because as the wind goes over the water, we call it fetch, the distance the wind travels over the water, it builds up a swell. And so, you, you know, there you go. <laughs> Not yeah. to overcomplicate it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and another thing, you know, I keep going back to this idea that wind creates swell. So, you know, as much as <laughs> I was joking about this before, as much as, you know, we need the wind um, when it comes to creating the swell, sometimes having too much wind is also a really bad thing. So, you know, if, if we were driving into town today and we saw that flag just whipping offshore, 
I'm less inclined to go down and look at the ocean surface because a really strong offshore wind a lot of times actually once again kills that swell that is going into. Um, but it also just starts ripping the tops off the waves. It makes paddling into the waves very difficult. It makes lots of spray. Um, it, and certain it, times of year, it can be colder. <laughs> and certain times of the year, you know, that spray could perhaps be turning to ice as it's hitting your head <laughs> behind the wave. Um, so those are those are all factors. Um, but so one thing I want to make sure that we we uh, distinguish though is that the origin of a swell and the wind intensity is not directly related to the cleanliness of the swell once it reaches your beach right like uh, what i'm trying to s say is like just because a hurricane creates a swell doesn't mean the swell is going to be choppy you know what i mean we're, we're basically we're talking about two different winds the winds that's offshore creating a swell and the winds that's local and creating the conditions you know so just which, that which leads us to another very very strong point um, that we wanted to make with regards to wind is that you know Certain waves are made locally by local storm systems. Mm -hmm. Other winds and swells are made much further away. Um, you know, what do we call those two? Swells. Well, we would have a ground swell for something that was made very far away by a, a large, you know, most likely a large storm. Um, and then we would have a local, what we would call a wind swell. Um, and those two things, I, I think the line between the two is a little blurry. Uh, some people, you know, East Coasters would probably take that that ground swell, wind swell number, and, and we'll get into period when we start talking about swell. Um, you know, people, I think this is an arguable point on what's a wind swell and what's a ground swell. But a ground swell is going to have a longer period. The waves are going to be a little bit farther between each one, um, but they're going to be longer and lined up. Think, think hurricane swell. If if you get hurricanes or typhoons where you live, um, as opposed to a local wind swell, which Every, every place receives local wind swells, but most, most locations don't look to necessarily surf those wind swells. However, if you're on the east coast of the United States, um, even it's if all you got. <laughs> it's for the most part, with the exception of hurricane season, it's all you got. Even when we get um, nor'easters in the wintertime, it tends to be on the shorter end of that period, which all as that means is that that swell was made very close to the beach. Right. The well, origin is closer. The origin is closer. So, so, so when what's, the, what's for you, what's your number? When do you start consider getting excited over the, the length of the, the interval of a swell? I would say uh, 12, you know, I, I, was, I was avoiding this question. Just because we didn't <laughs> I know. talk about period yet. We didn't right, talk about period. right. Well, so one of the things you're going to realize after you listen to this whole series is that all of these things are actually interconnected. The way the wind makes a swell, whether it's local or farther away, is, is then we have to talk about swell dimensions and the different aspects of swells. So you're going to, maybe this first episode is going to be a tricky one. It's going to get a little clearer when we start talking about swell. And then I think it'll round out, you know, we'll, with tide. We'll come back all... to that point, but I'll give you a number now. I would say about 11 or 12 seconds is where I would start considering. We're going into longer period territory. You're going to start noticing a bigger difference between the swells. One's more lined up, one's peakier. Right, that right. Nine, so for you second, it's 11 or 12? for to become to be yeah. considered a groundswell yes yeah, and if i east told coast, that right. if i told that to somebody on the west coast or in hawaii they would probably laugh at me because they barely ever get periods that short because most of their storm systems are far away you go to hawaii there's a high likelihood you're, you're not getting many storms well so that means the waves are not being made locally those storms are there they're just very far away the right. period of the wave is very long there's more energy involved with the swell and it's going to look a lot different than, you know, what some would call a peaky East Coast windswell. Mm -hmm. 
and it's all your preference. Some people love that peaky East Coast windswell. I love it. Right. Uh, well, it's what we thrive on, and, and, and our bathymetry, another topic we're going to get into later, is, is suited for the shorter period uh, you know, type of swells. Um, but before we get too complex, let's bring it back to like the, the, the concept of the intensity of wind, because we were talking about direction, we were talking about uh, uh, the, you know, what's offshore and onshore, and then just how intensity, you know, how strong the wind blows is not necessarily, in fact, it's definitely not going to be the same all day. It's changing, you know? And um, this is why it's important to look at the scope of the day and try to determine when you're judging when you want to surf. Should you get up early and go before work or should you wait till the evening after work? Um, because the wind's changing all the time and the direction can improve. It's changing here all the time. But, you know, there, there's also point. places That's a good that point. you can go, you know, for instance, one of the places, uh, or actually, I mean, they're, they're located on the same, same line of uh, latitude. So, so they actually have the same trade winds. But Hawaii and Puerto Rico are both places where the prevailing wind, the, the most common wind direction, it's called the trade wind, is from the northeast. And, it, you know, on almost any given day of their swell seasons, that wind is blowing from the northeast. And that is, you know, on well, certain some, parts of the island. Is it northeast? It's north northeast trade winds in, in that. So the, that, that so particular band. To get into, if you would like me to get a little into a yeah, little bit of science of it, um, between zero and 30 degrees latitude on Earth, uh, there's northeast trade winds. So Puerto Rico, Hawaii, which is at about 23 or 24 degrees above latitude, uh, these are places that all fall within the northeast wind belt. Um, as you move further up and you go to the 30 to 60 degree wind belt, which is where we live here on Long Island, we have prevailing southwesterly winds. Now, does this necessarily mean, given our location, that the winds are always blowing southwest? No, but if you start to really think about it, a lot of the times our winds are blowing southwest here on Long Island. Um, of course, we have seasons where we have more north winds, like in the wintertime. You know, we're a little bit more seasonally influenced here because our weather is constantly changing because we get seasons. If you go down south, they have less seasons, so their wind pattern is a little bit more uh, defined. They, they really have this, um, you know, this, this just prevailing wind, that this northeast wind that typically doesn't let up too much, um, you know, which which is very important when you start thinking about, all right, well, which wind is offshore for me? Um, because right, going back right. to that offshore piece, you know, if you're a surfer, offshore winds are definitely the best and most desirable wind that you're looking for. Right, right. And we were actually talking about that before, why they're good and, um, and they're clean. And, and one thing I wanted to say about why I like offshore winds is because it's a chance for tubes. <laughs> a chance for tubes. Holding, holding, it doesn't just clean up the swell, but it kind of delay, it lets the swell build a little bit more and become a little bit thinner before it finally breaks and, and just the wind holds up the lip a little longer. And it almost out hollows it out. Yeah, it kind of scoops it, it carves scoop, it out. It scoops out the wave. And, and, you know, I always tell this to people when I'm, when I'm teaching a surf lesson, um, you know, and explaining the wind to them that the offshore wind is, is typically the conditions that, you know, you want in a photograph or you want in a painting. Right, it's that um, magazine. It's that, yeah, it's that cover. just that beautiful, perfect, predictable lip. Which, yeah, yeah, yeah. Geez, if it's predictable, then it's going to be easier to surf. And it's not all about ease of surfing it, but it's about having more fun doing well, it. Surfing's hard enough. So if we can get some easy days, we'll take them. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, all right. And so, okay, so. You know, hopefully this is not getting to be too much for everybody, but I think it's good because I think there's going to be different levels of people who care about different amounts of the wind. So the beginner level can just take away from this that offshore is good. 
you know, it helps the wind, the ocean clean up. Uh, onshore is considered not the best, but like we said, intensity matters. If it's a light onshore, eh, that's not bad. Um, and then, you know, the deeper stuff for everyone else who's interested. And the last point that we well, really... Well, no, and before you go on, because you're missing, there is sideshore wind, which we didn't talk about. And how right, that affects right. the conditions. Right, I guess um, I was just kind of assuming. You know, we have, we have some friends that will go unnamed who love sideshore winds because it's an air wind. Now, I'm not out there, uh, necess- I mean, I try, but I'm not necessarily out there flicking airs around. But when you so have why is it an air wind? sideshore wind, well, because as you're getting your, as you're launching into the air, going parallel to the beach, because if you're surfing, my definition of surfing is that you can go down the line of a wave. Um, you're going either into the wind or with the wind. When you're going into the wind and you try to launch yourself off of the back, the wind actually kind of lifts or lofts your surfboard up into the air a little bit and allows you to allows it to kind of stick to your feet because you're going into that wind. Right, um, right. Which allows for you know more technical maneuvers like rotations and things like that in the wind where you don't have to worry about your board necessarily flicking off the back if it's offshore wind or you know pushing you too far out into the flats on an onshore wind. So these are important things. Those are a little bit more. You well, know, those the really talented aerialists will do it on any kind of wind that's true, somewhat facing true, their. You know, totally. and you'll notice that great aerialists kind of always face the bottom of their board to the direction of the wind. So if it's onshore wind, they're kind of doing like these out to the flats, but sticking their board out the back, kind of, you know, keep it against the onshore. You know, Chris, you and I should probably just stop talking about. We know, like, <laughs> we <laughs> yeah. know anything about We're doing airs. We're gonna stop talking about airs. <laughs> We're gonna stop talking about airs, but we will say that there there is a time and place for sideshore wind. And when, you know, when the wind is side shore or what I would call side offshore, the ocean is always worth a look. Yeah. Um, you know, for us, west-northwest wind or out here a northeast wind, um, you know, it's always worth a look. You know, a lot of times we call any east in the wind a devil wind, especially out in our specific location out here. But, geez, I've had some really great waves on, on northeast or, or even easterly winds. Yeah, sometimes that, that side shore, offshore wind will kind of hold open one direction of the wave. Like you said, west-northwest, so the left's going into the west-northwest will be good. The rights will be the kind of mushier, flattened or, out. Or sometimes the... even kind of opened up because the northeast wind is going right into the tube and you can get like a little Okay, so tube. in the northeast wind condition, the rights will open up perhaps. The, but, it, yeah. There's I'm, all different variables, point, and that's why this, this whole thing, like we had started this uh, podcast, with is that you know you have to learn your own local conditions right and it's different for everywhere right right and that that was our goal originally maybe we strayed a little bit but the goal definitely is to encourage you to figure it out for your area um because it's different for everybody and you'll find out what winds actually work that normally the forecast calls won't work or won't look good and you know, you'll figure out these ways to get yourself surfing more and in better waves as you start to piece the, the real information with what you see at the beach rather than just relying on one of the three colors. Uh, um, you know, and something else that I want to add in here is that, you know, in the very beginning, we didn't actually talk too much about the tools within the tools that you can use, um, which was one of the things that we said we wanted to talk about. But, you know, on any one of these given surf forecasting websites where we're getting a lot of this, you know, projected information or um, whatever it might be, whatever the forecast says, you know, there's a couple of general things that they're going to tell you. And many of those things are the, are the three main topics that we're going to cover, but they're always going to forecast wind for you. They're always going to forecast the tide and they're going to forecast the swell direction, uh, the swell and the swell direction. Um, and those are all of the important aspects of this podcast that we're, you know, we're honing in on. 
Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and each of those tools all put together is what we're hoping or, or hoping for you to be able to kind of put together for your particular location and figure out when the conditions are going to be best to put you in the best place at the best time. Right, right. And you'll, you'll find piece by piece, you're going to find these little secret conditions that you just love, you know, like I just remember growing up and having certain spots that I was like, oh, the wind's doing this and the swell's doing that. Oh, I can't wait to check this spot. Last yeah. time it did this, it was great. Yeah. And that's hopefully what you'll find around your area, you know, and which is know, why keeping a log of this information absolutely is a good thing. Um, you know, I've I'm not currently keeping a log, but I've went through phases in my life where I've literally recorded the swell direction, the swell height and the wind. Um, you know, some some of the other variables that are also important that we're going to talk about, you know, I wasn't recording, um, but but I was just trying to get a general idea of what the heck goes on at each particular spot with each particular swell and wind combination. And that's really what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of this or the the I guess the sport or the, the luck of all this is that, you know, it's not ever going to be the same any right. one given time. It's always slightly different. The source of the swell might be different. The direction of the swell might be different. The height of the swell might be slightly different. Right, the wind, right. the tidal conditions in that particular moment it, that well, you're it, looking it's, at it's it. It's definitely going to always be different. Always going to be different. There's just too many nuances to each one of these three variables. There's endless combinations. So even when you see the same exact swell numbers, Tide's going to be different. Wind's going to be different. Yeah. You know? I mean, and the I, bottom might even be different. The bottom only, of the ocean. Chris, the only people I think who could really argue something like that are, are people, you know, out west who get these really long period swells who that often gen, are generated in similar locations and hit the reef in similar different ways. Yeah. And their bottoms, their bathymetry but I still doesn't think, change. I still think it's all always different. You know? It's always I a think, little different. I think any sensitive surfer would have a hard time arguing or debating that it was exactly the same. You know, there's little subtle things. The way the True. section was breaking here, this was happening. Yeah, I, I do believe, though, I'm, I'm going to kind of stand by my word that the East Coast in particular, and there, there's, I'm sure there's many, many other places that get lots of wind swells like this. We have the, a, a very unique and a very varied uh, set of swell conditions. And, uh, you know, that one PKA, for, you know, for instance, last week we had, we had a really nice swell that came through. It was a big you know, kind of peaky wind swell that came through. It was getting, it was along the lines of getting longer period. I think we're, we're at around 10, 10 seconds. 10 seconds. Um, so, you know, with, with that longer period come closeouts, um, you know, so the, you had to look out for some of those, but for the most part, it was just this big peaky swell. But I've surfed conditions very similar to that before that looked very different. Um, you know, and, and the way those particular waves were generated compared to how they, they've been generated in the past. All of these things are variables, which makes this, like I said before, a, a science. And yeah, it's, it's, endless. It, it's endless. It's endless. And you're just going to keep on doing your best to try and figure it out, never fully accomplishing your mission. No. Uh, the more time fun. you put in, though, the better, you, you know, the, in For theory, sure. the better you'll get at it. Right, right. You know, like, like Chris said when we started this podcast. Him and I are usually the first two people talking, you know, a couple of days before a swell, getting, just getting an idea. Hey, did you see where the swell's originating from? Did you see how strong the winds are in this particular storm that's offshore? Um, you know, or did you see where this storm's going to pull off from? Right. You know, and then as it gets a... closer, do you see the buoys? They're bigger than what it actually was forecasted to be. You know, real-time data is showing bigger or less than what they forecasted. That's yeah. great news or bad news. And then, and then as the swell gets closer, you start honing in on the, the other, you know, subtler details like the tide, which, which, you know, we're going to dedicate one of these podcasts to, but you know, the tide is usually one of the last things I look at because, 
you know, we're lucky enough on the East Coast here to get any swell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Pretty so much. So, like, you know, so I'm not worried about the tide until the night before when I'm when I'm like, oh, man, the tide's at, you know, high tide's at 8 o'clock. That's a bummer for most of the spots I'm going to surf at. Yeah. All right. Maybe even, I'll have to wait till noontime. Even still, I don't think about it that early. I wait until I get down to the beach. And then you figure it out Yeah, because then, because sometimes it's just enough swell for that particular tide. Tides don't like, matter. Great. Absolutely. And sometimes you get there and it's just too fat and you're like, damn, it'd be better with less water. But again, that's stuff we're going to hit on in the third third episode. Um, you have anything on your end about wind that you want to talk about more? No. Yeah, so if you guys have questions about any of these things, write it in. Ask us. We'll, we'll, we'll hit on it. We'll come back to it and revisit, you know, some... Uh, some of your questions but I hopefully and there's uh, a good chance that we're going to answer those questions in the next two podcasts right well. right so hang tight and uh, thanks for tuning in stick with us uh, next week or come back next week we'll be talking about swell dimensions so if you're not subscribed uh, to the podcast you should get on iTunes and do that do yourself a favor subscribe and you'll be notified when we release new episodes um, you know hit those five star buttons please and write into info at the surf continuum with any questions or suggestions suggested topics uh, happy to cover love to do that alright guys cheers Woo.